invite you to pray with me. God, be with us in our thinking and doing, in our speaking and in our very being. Amen. When I was a child, I loved to read books. One of my favorites was the series called Anne of Green Gables. This series follows an orphan girl named Anne Shirley, who is famously imaginative and talkative and seems to get in trouble a lot. But much of her difficulties come from the fact that she is new in the rural culture of Avonlea, a small town in Prince Edward Island on the east coast of Canada in the late 1800s. One of the big things I remember from the story is how much Anne wants a friend. She speaks often of finding a kindred spirit or someone who can be her bosom friend. Maybe that's like BFF in our language today. She speaks longingly of finding someone to fill this spot in her life. And eventually she connects with another young girl named Diana Berry. They become fast friends and have many adventures together as they grow up. Friendship is an important part of this story. I haven't read these books recently, but a few years ago I started watching the newer Canadian TV series called Anne with an E that is based on the books. This series reimagines the story of Anne Shirley, highlighting some features in grittier detail that might connect to modern audiences. Because Anne is coming into this community as an outsider, the story shows many of the things that these townspeople would never notice about their own cultural norms and the ways that they enact their deeply held ideas about the way things are and the way things should be. Anne is constantly having to learn this new culture and engage with it in ways that help her survive and thrive. She also often influences those around her to question their norms. She is an outsider, a cultural other, and she was always trying to befriend people in this community that is new and strange to her. There is a lot I could say about this famous story, but today I'm thinking about friendships and relationships that cross cultural boundaries. What does it mean to be friends with someone different than yourself? Someone that has grown up in a life that is completely different from what you grow up, grew up with? Does God call us to make these kinds of friendships across cultures and differences? Last week, Rod spoke about friends and enemies and what it might mean to love our enemies. This is really important to keep in mind as we think about friendships across differences. Because most of the time, cultural differences include power dynamics and histories of trauma. It is important to notice that both the story of Anne of Green Gables and the story of Ruth take place in highly patriarchal societies. All these women had limitations due to unequal gender norms. Their strength is shown in acting courageously despite their circumstances. But since Rod spoke about power dynamics last week, for today I want to focus more on just the differences themselves, how we relate to people who don't quite fit our ideas of what is normal. In the Bible, the idea of the stranger or the sojourner is very common. Many biblical stories get us to think about what it might mean to be friends with the stranger or the foreigner, 
and how that can transform our lives. We also see Abraham's family and descendants as the foreigners and the strangers in new cultures. Often these cultures are judged for how hospitable they are to outsiders like the Israelites. Hospitality is an incredibly important feature in the Bible, and many stories show us how friendships and family ties can go beyond our cultural boundaries. The story of Ruth and Naomi tells of the increasingly strong friendship between an Israelite and a Moabite, two groups that did not get along. In the collection of stories in the Old Testament, the Moabites were seen as outside the blessings of Yahweh. Specifically, in the law codes in Deuteronomy, the Moabites were excluded from being a part of the family of God. The reason? They didn't provide bread and water to the hungry, sojourning Israelites after they had left Egypt. Their lack of hospitality to strangers put them on the bad list, the list of people not to be trusted. But somehow, Naomi and her husband and sons end up going to Moab in a time of famine. This story doesn't give us a lot of information here, and it is a little striking. They are vulnerable and in need, and yet they go to the land of the horrible and unfriendly Moabites? They go to the people that got specifically left out of God's blessing? I suppose they must have been desperate. But apparently, somehow it worked. Naomi and her family lived with the Moabites for years. They must have had to learn a lot to do this. I wonder what customs and traditions, ways of interacting they needed to learn to fit in with this new group, new and foreign group. Somehow, despite the deep and historical difference between these groups, Naomi and her family found a home with these Moabites. Her husband dies there, but the family continues on. Her sons even marry women from this group, Orpah and Ruth, and begin their own families in this cross-cultural setting. They stay for 10 years. At this point, they must have been pros at understanding the Moabite ways. Finally, Naomi's two sons die. She is beyond grief, and hearing that things are better now in her home country, she decides to return. Naomi exhorts her daughters-in-law to stay with their own people, but Ruth refuses to leave her. This story of friendship and commitment between Naomi and Ruth is so famous. This book also carries larger themes of redemption, of God's action through human care for one another. And Ruth becomes a part of the long narrative of the Bible. Ruth, the outsider, is an ancestor to King David and Jesus. She shows up in the genealogies that open the New Testament. A key in the story is that Naomi and Ruth forged this deep friendship across some large cultural differences. And each of them, at different points in the story, were seen as outsiders, foreigners, the other who was outside of the majority culture. We also have times when we encounter cultural differences. 
During my studies at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, I learned a lot about cross-cultural or intercultural relationships. Over time, AMBS has made strong connections with the global Mennonite church, and while I was there, we had students from all over the world living on campus. I had the chance to get, a know, get to know a variety of Ethiopian students who were living on campus and attending classes with me. I learned that Ethiopian culture is highly social. Family and friendship ties are incredibly important. In fact, people often go to great lengths to do things for folks in their community. It is common for friends to just show up at your house and you are socially required to drop everything and host them or help them with whatever they need. Sometimes this carries over into technology and cell phone behavior. One friend told me he felt compelled to always answer his phone or text messages immediately because his friends would get upset with him if he didn't. So imagine this situation. A dinner party with friends from all over the world. We're eating delicious food and having great conversation. My Ethiopian friend gets a call on his phone and proceeds to answer it at the table while we are all there because it is important to respond to your friends no matter what state you are in. My friend from France is deeply disturbed by this because a shared meal is a sacred time to be present with those around you in person. For her, it is also disrespectful to muddy the social space with your own personal noise. She has told me that French people often respond in very public, direct, and dramatic ways to violations of the social space, like making rude faces at people on the train who make too much noise. So she makes a direct, annoyed, slightly dramatic comment and facial expression at our Ethiopian friend. He responds with the kind of distress shock that anyone would call him out in a communal setting. I also now respond as an American, especially Midwesterner, I am also shocked at what seems to be a very rude response from my French friend, even though I tend to agree with her view of the social space. I grumble some discontent. An Argentinian friend at the table makes a pointed and sarcastic joke as is the Norman many Latin American cultures, and the others present laugh to break the tension. Each of these reactions represents many layers of cultural values and practices. Phew! Making friends across these deep and historical ideas of what it even means to be friends. This is tricky work. And of course, this is all my perception of what happened because any of these people would tell the story differently. Likely because of this diversity on campus, AMBS used a tool called the Intercultural Development Inventory to help all of us learn and grow in our capacity to build relationships across cultures. This model teaches us that our reactions to difference, to otherness, can change over time, that we can grow in our ability to bridge differences. This intercultural learning is a journey. We are all at different points on the journey and we have something to learn. 
To give you a glimpse into this, here are some examples of the five stages of intercultural learning they describe. Often, our first reaction to cultural difference is denial. In this stage, we are just mostly unaware of cultural differences. We either haven't had enough experience or we don't want to think about or notice difference. A second reaction we have is polarization. We see our culture and other cultures in a more binary light. One is great and the other is not. This can run two ways. We can think our culture is the best and somehow the other culture is purely bad. Or we might react in quite the opposite way, thinking the other culture is amazing while ours is quite lacking. When I was in high school, I went on a trip with the Central Plains Mennonite Conference to Ecuador for a couple weeks. I thought Ecuador was amazing. Everything they did was so great, brighter, more colorful, more relational, clearly, so much better than my boring American Midwestern materialistic culture. I could only see the good of that culture and had dreams of living in ideal life moving to Ecuador, riding a motorcycle around rural mountain villages. Had I actually done this, moved there, I might have become more aware of how complex every culture is with both positive and negative elements. A third point in our journey is called minimization. This one feels really familiar to me too. At this point in our journey, we focus on the similarities between cultures. We are all one, we are all human, we can all get along just great. And the best thing to do is just forget our differences and focus on the ways we are the same. This reminds me a lot of the term colorblind that we often hear criticized today. When I spent a semester in the Middle East, I was intrigued by the various musical languages and styles I encountered. I interviewed a Palestinian clarinetist in Bethlehem. I probably assumed that music was our universal language, that I could understand the things he told me at first glance, that we were on the same side of things, both striving toward the universal ideals of peace and justice for Palestinians. But looking back, I see myself as quite lacking in the ability to know much of anything about this person who had grown up in such a different way than I had. I was not thinking about deep cultural differences and especially the privileges I brought to the situation as a white American. The fourth and fifth points on the journey are about acceptance and adaptation. Here we begin to feel comfortable with the fact that deep differences exist in the ways that people understand the world and act out their convictions. Sometimes these beliefs and norms run so deep that they are unconscious in nature. Acceptance is about realizing that difference is okay, that we can learn more about each other from recognizing our differences. Difference is a real thing. God's creation is diverse. When we can notice and learn about our differences, we can begin to understand the deep ways that people differ culturally. We must recognize difference to find ways across those divides. And finally, adaptation is learning to build bridges across these differences. 
With all of this, what I hope to communicate to you all is that learning to navigate cultural differences is a journey. All of these different points that I mentioned have an important gem, something to learn. And we can all continue to learn and grow. But this also means we have to interact with people from other cultures. We have to risk being ignorant and uninformed. We will make mistakes, and that is how we learn and grow. This will be especially challenging for those of us that come from a dominant culture. While marginalized folks are often required to learn the, the dominant culture for the sake of their own survival, many of us do not ever need to make adjustments. This work is especially important as we seek the peace of the city and strive toward becoming the beloved community of God. If we want to become a place where a diverse group of folks can feel that they are integrated into the community and feel at home, we will be crossing lots of cultural divides. We will need to make friends with the other. When I say the other, this has many faces to me. There are a variety of cultural differences, even those that exist within our local community. Some of us may struggle to understand the terminology that the LGBTQ community uses. Others might wonder why different racial or ethnic groups have different norms. And some of us, millennials, might wonder why Gen, Ye Gen Z uses such weird slang. But of course, Gen Z has many thoughts about millennials, too, so. <laughs> Some differences might be immediately visible, and other differences may take longer to see. I like the Anne of Green Gables story because Anne may look like she fits just right in Prince Edward Island, but through the story, we see her cultural clashes arise. The other is anyone who is different from us in deep and significant ways. Even God, in many ways, is other to us, an entity that we cannot understand fully. God is the ultimate and holy other, that which is known and unknown, seen and unseen. We can learn to relate to God by relating to many types of others, Bridging cultural divides is messy and holy work. As Jesus teaches us, making friends with the stranger is making friends with God. We are called to make friends with the holy other. In the second chapter of Ruth, the tables have switched. She who was once the host of Naomi's Israelite family is now the outsider. The text highlights her status as foreigner, as coming from the mistrusted Moabites, the other. We see Boaz, in contrast, as the one who is known, seen, respected in his community. The chapter dramatically displays these opposites, emphasizing those who are known and those who are unknown, those who are seen and those who are unseen. And together, Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi are bridging cultural divides. Naomi, in the context of her long-term intercultural friendship, is constantly helping Ruth, articulating the ways that the Hebrew culture works and how Ruth might navigate these customs. 
Ruth, in turn, acts courageously and with loyalty to her friendship with Naomi. And through this friendship across differences, their whole family is blessed. Ruth becomes a part of the bigger narrative, an ancestor to King David and part of the genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus. Biblical scholar Kathleen Farmer frames this story well. She writes, We who think we have been chosen by God are often tempted to exclude those we perceive to be the other. Thus, we need to be reminded on a regular basis that God often chooses the other to help carry out God's purposes in the world. It is not our job to encourage people to be like Ruth, but instead we need to work at seeing the character of Ruth reflected in the other, whoever that other may be in our setting. We should ask, who is the Moabite to our faith community? And it recognized that it might just be that other that God is using to bring about our redemption. God is working through normal people in everyday situations like this story of Ruth. God is working through friendships across divides to reconcile the world to God's self. Today, with our globalized world and in this weird city of Portland, we have so many opportunities to learn and grow, to forge deep friendships with those who are different from us. And we all have something to share about the ways our own culture and upbringing has deeply shaped our beliefs, convictions, and ways of acting in the world. May we all do the holy work of nurturing friendships, noticing and accepting difference, building bridges across these differences, and making friends with the holy other.